0: Hi, I'm your host, Kimberly Thomas-Tigg, and you're listening to Signalize, a Dazzle Ferrer podcast. Whether you're a patient, advocate, caregiver, or a clinician, Signalize is your source for good news, personal stories, events, and the things that rare and associated communities care about. Follow Signalize and Dazzle Ferrer Rare at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number 4, R-A-R-E, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we'll post episode links, updates, and more welcome to signalize a dazzle for a podcast if this is your first or your fifth episode of signalize thanks for taking the time you could have been doing anything right now but for the next few minutes you're here and i appreciate that Waiting through all the emails alerts invitations notifications from various organizations like global genes beacon genetic Alliance, and others can be a struggle and let's not forget you and your events and your community and everything that you have going on it's a lot to take in I'm introducing Rare and Relevant, your TLDR for all things rare, associated, and noteworthy. But before we get into it, let's hear from
1: Team Dazzle member Carrie Wong. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Carrie Wong, a writer and patient advocate from New York City. You may have seen me or my float like a butterfly pages online, but in case you haven't, here's a quick intro. My main diagnosis is a rare disease called sarcoidosis, which is why I'm excited to talk to you now. April is recognized as Sarcoidosis Awareness Month, and depending on where in the world you are, Sarcoidosis Awareness Day is observed on April 13th or April 30th. We need all the awareness we can get, so I'm happy to claim all of those dates. So here's a little info about sarcoidosis. It's an inflammatory disease that can affect people of any age, gender, or ethnicity, though it seems to impact African-American women more frequently and more severely than any other demographic. It can affect any organ in the body, and that includes systemic symptoms as well, but most frequently it affects the lungs, eyes, and skin. What happens is the immune system forms clusters of cells called granulomas, which can interfere with any organs functioning. They don't fully understand what causes sarcoidosis or why it develops differently in different people. It seems to be a combination of genetic predisposition and an environmental trigger. Because of that combination, there's a much higher incidence of sarcoidosis right here in New York City. It's one of the leading health conditions found in 9-11 first responders and people who lived or worked around Ground Zero. Sarcoidosis is called a snowflake disease because each person's experience is unique. At the same time, our experience shares so much with other rare diseases. It can take years to get diagnosed, and it can be incredibly isolating when no one else we know seems to understand. That's why it's so important for all of us to raise our voices, to share our stories. That's how we find connection. It's how we develop a new rare family, and it's how we know that we are not alone. To that end, I'm actually working on a book, a collection of rare disease stories told by people who are living with them, and I would love to include some of your stories in it. It's called kaleidoscope for two reasons. Number one, a group of butterflies is called a kaleidoscope. So if you float like a butterfly with me, that's just what we are. And number two, a kaleidoscope starts with one thing and through light and reflection just becomes more enmeshed and more beautiful. And that's like us, each a beautiful butterfly on our own. But when we come together, we really dazzle. See what I did there? We dazzle for rare. If you'd like to share your story or learn more about the project, you can visit bit.ly slash Kaleidoscope Rare or at Kaleidoscope Rare on social media. You can also find me at bit.ly slash float like a butterfly or float like a butterfly column or at butterfly K on all the socials. One quick spelling note. Like I said, I'm from New York, so I spell it how we say it. That's B-U-T-T-A-H fly. So thanks so much for listening, and a big thanks to Kimberly for lifting all of our voices here and through Dazzle for Rare.
0: Thanks to Carrie for getting us started with a little bit more information about sarcoidosis, as well as her upcoming project. As Carrie just stated, April is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month, and the Caring Hand Sarcoidosis Organization is encouraging individuals to share their stories with the world by sending their pictures, names, and narratives to Sarcoid Network numeral one, that's number one, at gmail.com, or sharing on social media with the hashtag MakeItVisible. You might know Daniel DeFabio, or you may recall that he joined us on episode 10 of the podcast.
1: I started with Bo Bigelow, another rare disease dad. Disorder the Rare Disease Film Festival gathering in a movie theater with people that might be the most vulnerable people didn't seem like a good idea anymore. So we created a streaming channel that you can add to your Roku or Fire TV devices called the Disorder Channel.
0: Daniel has shared that the unofficial series, Rare Days, is now streaming for free exclusively on the Disorder Channel. Here's a brief clip of Life After Diagnosis Day. It is the second in a series. The first is Bad Days, Good Days, Rare Days. It was a pretty dramatic turn for me to realize that she had a very serious condition and that it wasn't just... Time that was going to kind of work things out. The Disorder Channel is available on Roku and Fire TV devices. I had a little trouble finding it myself on Fire TV, but it is there. If you catch this or any of the other programs on TDC, let uh, Daniel or Beau know that you heard it here on Signalize a Dazzle for a podcast. So sit back, relax, grab a cuppa, and get ready for your dose of the concentrated TLDR with Rare and Relevant. This is esophageal cancer awareness month, all of April. Esophageal cancer is a type of cancer that affects the esophagus, the tube that carries food from the throat to the stomach. According to NHS Inform, esophageal cancer doesn't have any symptoms at first, but as the cancer grows, it can cause swallowing problems or other symptoms. This is also Fabry disease month. This genetic condition affects the body's ability to break down a specific type of fat, leading to the accumulation of fat in the body's cells. This results in various symptoms such as pain, kidney problems, and heart disease. On April 28th, we observe KIF1A Day. This day is dedicated to raising awareness of KIF1A-related disorders, a group of rare genetic conditions that affect the nervous system. KIF1A Day aims to increase awareness, improve diagnosis, and treatment, and ultimately find a cure for these disorders. According to KIF1A.org, every year on the 28th of April, we honor our superheroes battling KIF1A-associated neurological disorder. The 28th also happens to be recognized around the world as Superhero Day. Also on the 28th, we have Undiagnosed Children's Day. This day is dedicated to raising awareness of the challenges that families of undiagnosed children face. It highlights the importance of early detection, diagnosis, and treatment for children with rare diseases, ensuring that they get the care and support that they need. And in many cases, this is life-saving care and support. Moving on to some Facebook events. If you're on Facebook, here are some events that are coming up. All the relevant links will be in the show notes if you're interested in any of these events. If you or a loved one is affected by hydrocephalus, the Hydrocephalus Association is having their first Breaking Barriers Men's Talk. This event is hosted on Facebook. As you know, we love to see a good men's group online providing support, so we are always happy to share these events when we find them. Also from Hydrocephalus Foundation, on May 10th, we have Bench to Bedside, How Does a Drug Treatment Get Made? This sounds like a fascinating webinar. Uh, You can read more information on the event page, which again will be in the show notes, and hopefully it'll have the correct date. That's at 7 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S. On the 27th, we have United Leukodystrophy Foundation Event, Caregiver Online Support Group. This session also has a Zoom registration link. If you or your organization, advocacy group, practice, or other rare and associated condition focused entity of whatever sort have an event of interest to our communities to share, Make sure you get it listed on the Dazzle for Our Community events calendar. You can find it on our website dazzleforour.net, or you can reach out to me for more details on how to access it. It is available on your desktop, on your laptop, on your phone, wherever you are and have a Wi-Fi connection. Now we have some news bits and bobs from the U.S. and U.K. The disability badge ban and Dame Judy Dench. Interesting. Dame Judy Dench has opposed a ban on blue disability badges in the York City Center that was introduced by York City Council in November of 2021. This was to allow the installation of quote unquote anti terror bollards or posts in the city center. The ban prohibits blue badge holders or those who have blue disability badges on their vehicle or inside their windshield from parking in pedestrian areas within the city's central footsteps. A new study by postgraduate students from, from York Law School included that the ban is discriminatory toward people with disabilities and gives insufficient weight to their rights. The study interviewed disability rights academics, counter-terrorist specialists, and former police chiefs about the policy and claimed that the council's actions depicted disabled people or people with disabilities as a hindrance. The council rejected the report's findings, but the campaign group Reverse the ban, which received support from Dame Judy Dunch, is calling on the council to overturn these restrictions. CRISPR therapy cured a woman's genetic disease. 37-year-old Victoria Gray has become the first patient to be treated with CRISPR gene editing for sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell anemia is a blood disorder that at the least causes excruciating pain and crisis situations, and at the worst can result in death, and there's quite a lot in between. In July of 2019, Gray received a new therapy involving CRISPR's molecular scissors to cut her genome at the position of the BCL11A gene, which switches off fetal hemoglobin production after birth. Woo, that's a mouthful. The cells are then repaired where they were cut rejoining their ends, but the gene has been disabled at this point. Doctors then transfused Gray with her own edited cells after killing all the diseased blood cells in her bone marrow with chemotherapy. Gray now feels like she has a new life ahead of her and described her new cells as the closest thing to a cure that has been since the disease was discovered 113 years ago. The new therapy will cost around 3 million US dollars and is expected to be approved by the US later this year and in Europe sometime later. However, it is unlikely that this therapy will reach many patients in developing countries, particularly those that do not have universal health care. Health equity and health care access in developed and developing countries is very much an ongoing conversation. So stay tuned. We look forward to talking more about that in the future. The next story is a particularly upsetting one and touches on the topic of misdiagnosis. A mother was diagnosed with end-stage terminal uterine cancer and she is encouraging women to persist and advocate with medical professionals if they suspect an ongoing health issue. Kelly Pendry from the UK experienced strange symptoms for several years before her diagnosis. These included heavy periods, severe pain, weight gain, without explanation, and a swollen tummy. After describing her symptoms to a doctor, she was advised to consider going on the contraceptive pill or getting an IUD, known as an intrauterine device, and was prescribed antidepressants. Kelly said her initial diagnosis of benign fibroids was not until November of 2020, and her condition had reached a terminal stage a year later following a lung biopsy. Although Kelly would like to have a hysterectomy, the option is no longer available to her on the NHS. She is receiving chemotherapy at the time of reporting. Her husband is hoping to raise £50,000 to pay for her to have surgery in the United States. Kelly hopes that her story will help others saying that she felt like a drama queen and was overthinking and that it was all in her head. She hopes that women will be encouraged to demand to be heard if they suspect a health issue. While Kelly is realistic about the future, she wants her children to know that she has tried everything possible. Truly this is a heartbreaking story. And while we do strive to share uplifting stories and great news, there there is often sad stories in our communities. And I'm sad to have to share that with you, but it is important to talk about. Now, for something completely different, I do have some good news for folks who play video games, whether they are on the PC or on a video game platform. The Sims 4 has released a recent patch update to their base game that adds more inclusive character customization options such as medical wearables like hearing aids and glucose monitors. The update marks a big step forward for inclusivity in the game and has been met with enthusiasm from folks in disabled communities. These new assets are purely aesthetic and don't affect gameplay. I personally play The Sims, as does my husband and my son, and I was deeply moved when I opened my game and saw these for the first time. I didn't expect to feel emotional about it. Even though I don't personally wear a glucose monitor or a hearing aid, I have worn and do wear medical devices to monitor my health and my vital signs, it's a good thing to To see folks in our communities having a sense of validation and this visual representation in the game for those who do use these devices. Medical aids often are an important part of our identity and of our lives, and being able to create a character that reflects your own experience is a powerful thing. For players who want to create their sim self in the game, this is a nice piece of storytelling and it adds some authenticity. Quick disclaimer, if you're struggling currently and talking about mental health is not where you are right now, please come back to this part of the podcast at a later date. For those who are staying with me, I'm not a trained mental health professional. If you're struggling, you're not alone, not by a long shot. And I mean that in the most reassuring way possible. And it's not abnormal or strange to have difficulty naming the emotions or the things that you're struggling with. I'll drop uh, the numbers of some different services in the show notes. While it's always relevant to talk about how we're doing mentally, I've realized recently when I talk to other advocates in the rare and associated spaces, I'm hearing more people say regardless of where they are in the health spectrum that they're feeling tired, they're feeling physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, distracted, Overwhelmed, they're struggling to keep on top of their inbox, they're struggling to make it to meetings and webinars, and people are just having a really tough time right now. You sort of have to sit down and think so, what happens when we sit down and ask ourselves, like, are we okay? That's a good question. I have some things that I'm trying to work on right now, and I'll share those with you, and um, maybe these help you as well. As advocates and caregivers and humans, we're a very diverse group of people. So we may experience connections to our emotions differently than some of the people who are around us. It can be hard to label the feeling that you're feeling, especially for those who are neurodiverse among us or those who are dealing with challenges caring for someone who is rare or chronically ill. And in our home We struggle with naming our emotions personally in my home. We struggle with this and it can be difficult to name what we're feeling and to explain that to other people. So you're not alone if you find naming your emotions difficult. Instead of trying to put a name to what you're feeling right now, maybe a moment of silence to focus on your body and mind could help. Taking a few deep breaths, using a breathing pattern that works for you whatever emotions or sensations come up, letting them be without judging them or without trying to banish them. That's difficult. Again, I struggle with that too. But after trying this, ask yourself, how am I really doing? Am I okay? Or am I trying to be okay? This may bring up some unexpected emotions. If you're feeling overwhelmed, try to find a safe way to release that energy. You could cry, talk to a friend or a pet. I talk to my cats all the time. Or you go for a walk, which again, I go for a walk with my cat all the time. If that's something that you're physically able to do. If you're not, um, there might be other things that work well for you. But taking the time to process these sensations and feelings as they come up, you might be able to start working with the underlying stuff and know where you're starting in this moment. Another idea is to seek help if that feels appropriate for you or that's something that you feel comfortable doing. So reaching out to a mental health professional, to your GP, to a trusted friend or family member, In the UK, we have the Samaritans and they're available on the phone or via email and they're very helpful. In the United States, there are various organizations available by telephone or for online support and there are lots of support groups on Facebook. If you do need that resource or someone to talk to, these can all be very helpful Being kind to yourself and not judging yourself is another great one. And it would be great if it were easy to do. (laughs) I struggle with that as well, being kind to myself. And it's not always easy. Sometimes you're trying to disagree with your worst critic, which is yourself. And if you can take breaks during the day or take breaks during activities, physically or mentally, just to check in with yourself Pacing doesn't come easy for all of us, but there are online resources, um, you know, guides and videos that can help folks in rare and associated communities with things like learning how to to do pacing. Self-compassion is another important one to try to treat yourself with the same kindness and understanding as you would a friend or someone in your community. We often are triaging the wounds and the pain and the problems of others but we don't take the time to offer ourselves that same level of care. You can't pour from an empty jug. Take a moment to refill yourself. Hearing some, you know, maybe hearing me talk about it right now is helpful to you. And realizing that this is definitely something that people across the spectrum are really struggling with all the notifications, all the difficult things going on, the news, emails, Facebook messages. It's a lot. It's a lot. But I hope that some of these things can just be like a little reminder, like, oh, that's right. You know, I should check in on myself today. I should take a little bit of extra time to give myself compassion. I should take some time to be kind to myself and to give myself the same level of care that I'm willing to give other people selflessly. And I hope that what I've just said has maybe offered you a little bit of comfort if you do need help, I will drop some information in the show notes for folks that you can reach out to. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Signalize, a Dazzle for rare podcast. To stay up to date on the podcast and Dazzle for Rare, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, rare, R-A-R-E. And finally, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media platforms.